Live from the home office of Ag Solutions Network, it's the Ag Emerge Podcast. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soils, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottoms. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Ag Emerge podcast. Today, Tom Cotter joins us from his farm in Austin, Minnesota. Tom and his family have been farming for more than a century. Today, we discuss the ways they've developed effective soil health practices, utilizing cover crops, interseeding, diversity, organic crops, and canning crops, as well as grazing livestock on their farm. Tom joins us from one of his fields where he's sitting and reflecting on the soil and the bounty of the cover that surrounds him. Tom says observation is one of the most important keys to recognizing what's happening on the land and in the soil. Take weeds, for example. Tom looks at them not as weeds, but as signals indicating something is wrong in the system. So rather than just getting rid of them, he investigates what he can learn from those weeds. Tom is focused on building healthy soils that in turn builds healthy, nutritious food. So grab a glass of tea, relax, listen to the natural sounds from the field, and join us for a great conversation with Tom Cotter. Well, welcome to the Aggie Merge podcast. We're joined today with Tom Cotter, and uh, we're excited, Tom, to have you here with us. And uh, we're looking forward to our conversation about everything that you've been up to here in the last few years uh, to make a lot of transitions and changes in your operation. And one of the things that we love to do to start out, Tom, is just for you to give us an idea of um, what has brought you to the spot where you're at today? How did you get here? Tell us about this journey that you've been on. Um, people just love to hear what got you started and some of the, the ups and downs that you've had along the way. So, Well, you know, I usually start out saying that my dad liked to see me work, and so he, he got me all planting uh, dwarf Essex rapeseed about 21 years ago. You know, it was true at the time. But then I started thinking more about it. I think really, you know, my dad raised me to, you know, try and be humble, uh, take care of the land, and it'll take care of you. And really, I've, I've never been one for putting a lot of stuff on to make it look pretty. You know, that's kind of like, do I need a $50,000 pickup to, to get across town? No. Do I need to dump a bunch of fertilizer and chemical on to make the crop look great but still spend a lot of money? Uh, like I said, my dad was pretty humble. And so we got by with a little less and a little bit of weeds. And, you know, the more I think about weeds, you know, they're not weeds. They're just, they're, they're a good signal for us to say, Hey, something's wrong. And we're, we're too stuck in trying to get rid of them instead of learn from them. So being humble and, uh, you know, that's why I'm like right now, I said, I'm out here sitting in the field cause I want to kind of feel grounded uh, it's actual. It's actual a scientific fact that people need to be grounded to the soil, and I like doing that. And uh, along the ways, you just kind of 
pick up little things here and there. And if you're too busy and with life, lots of times you'll, you'll miss it. You'll miss the signs. Uh, even with God, you know, he sends signs all the time and we're all caught up in our everyday stuff and we miss things. So coming out, sitting here grounded, uh, my dad raising me to be humble, uh, for the most part, (laughs) (laughs) uh, it, it really, it really makes it easy to do this, you know, cause I don't have to be the, well, I guess I should say when I was a kid, I did, I wanted to be the big guys with the big tractors and, you know, covering large acres. And now, you know, I got the big tractors and I realize that's not the, that doesn't make you happy. And, you know, I'm sure many guys have got into no-till and covers. All farmers really feel like this is some of the most exciting times. And the more I get back to earth, back to taking care of soil, the more I enjoy what I'm doing. And, you know, it's pretty worthless to make a bunch of money or lose money if you're spending a lot of money and not be happy. So doing it this way makes me happy. I, Put it that way. I, I think that's great. And one of the things, and you and I have talked about this uh, before, but you're talking about the observations that you really being out there in the field and observing what is going on. And you talked a little bit about weeds that we just were always looking for ways to kill them instead of looking for what they were signaling. And I think that's really key as you talk about some of the stuff that, you know, some of the things that you've done. So. Yeah. Well, that was one of the advantages I had when I was a kid is like I said, my dad liked to see me work. So he bought a tile plow. And so we did all the drainage ourselves and, so I'd stick me in the ground four feet deep, and that's when you really start seeing a lot of differences. And I tell you, it's pretty embarrassing as a dad to tell your kid you want to take him fishing and not be able to find a worm on, you know, a thousand acres of farmland. So mm-hmm. uh, sitting in those holes, I, I realized pretty fast how the soil was changing, even though we didn't see it from the top of the ground, that you could see it from down below. So thank you, Dad, again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Tom, I certainly appreciate you being on the podcast today, and I thank you for being one of our speakers coming up at Ag Emerge here in, in January. Uh, looking forward to you challenging growers' uh, thoughts and, and helping guys think of things in a different way. And first time I got to hear you talk, uh, you had it'd been recently after your father had passed away, and uh, you shared how he liked to tell stories, and I, I really admire the respect that you have for your dad. I have a lot of respect for my dad, too. Uh, fortunately, he's still with us. Uh, but it's, uh, it's amazing that, you know, inspiration that we get from our fathers and how farming is a, is a generational business because of that. And, uh, you know, he, he planted seeds in you that are, that are coming to fruit today. Right. And, uh, it's interesting to see the diversity that you've gone to on your farm and the different practices that you've done. And, um, really when that boils down to, in addition to your dad's inspiration, but what would you say is at the core of why you're doing what you're doing right now? Because it's a lot of extra work compared to those shiny tractors and fancy pickup trucks. Yeah, uh, you know, pro- probably my kids. You know, I I, I got great kids, uh, two boys, two girls, just the way we planned it. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. That never happened yeah, like huh? that. But, uh, you know, and... I used to be in great shape. I've kind of let myself go uh, because I love to eat all the beef I make. But 
I just want to make sure that this is still around for for everyone, really. I mean, especially my kids, but you know, everyone that's out there, there's you you see change. I mean, you see that all the trees disappearing and the fence lines are gone and and I think I told said once maybe this last uh, time I spoke at the National Strip Tail Conference about how uh, once those fence lines are gone, all the history's gone. And so I want to make sure that doesn't happen here. I want to make sure the history stays here. Well, tell us a little bit about your farm today, Tom. Uh, corn, soybeans, uh, you've got grass-fed beef that you're selling uh, wholesale, I imagine maybe Thousand Hills because that's close, but you can tell us on that. And then also you've got organic sweet corn for canning we were talking about and peas. What other things that you're doing up there, organic and no-till, strip-till? You're doing a lot of stuff that you're not supposed to do in Minnesota. You're supposed to moldboard plow up there. What's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. Well, go back to my dad again. When I was a kid, I'd always have to go out and put all the new shovels on the cultivator. And he would always go by like 12 when we needed about 48. So I would have to strategically place those shovels to do the most benefits. So before I even knew of strip till, I was kind of already had that in mind. Uh, so hmm. <laughs> it's funny that you said that, but <laughs> no, up here now, you know, yeah, yeah, we have corn, uh, soybeans, which it used to be 50, 50, and then it dropped back. Cause we'd always have one field of, uh, canning crops and now going multi-species. Now that's probably a third of the crop. Uh, but then now we got into organic, so now that's a quarter of the crop, and everything just keeps on getting smaller and smaller. But there's more of them, so instead of two 50% fields of corn soybeans, it's you know my organic crops, my canning crops, my soybean, my corn. Uh, have even gotten into the hemp world, uh, which is kind of exciting because it, it really goes just right along with everything I'm doing. You know, I I look at putting health in the soil to make sure it comes out into the products that we put out there. And, uh, the, the hemp does that, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's probably one of the best plants around and we actually opened up a store. So we're growing for our own store and really excited. And what's really fun about it is we get to help people, you know, so not only am I helping people with, you know, grass-fed beef and healthy products and nutrient-dense food, but I'm also helping, uh, you know, we, we thought the price range was 30 to 50 years old, and we realized it's really, there is no age limit or or how low you go because the health benefits of a, of a good raised hemp plant can help with everyone as far as anxiety, uh, anti-inflammatory, and there's just, there's so many more things that it can help you with, and I, I always say the reason why I started business is because I can raise healthy soil, I can raise a healthy plant, and I want to raise healthy people too. So, so you're, uh, you're really faced with the decision, Tom, of, okay, here we got a 1,000 acres, and at one time that was a, a good-sized farm, you know, similar yep. to like at one time we were a large farm. Now we're probably an average or below-average farm. And you looked at, okay, do I just keep getting, you know, bigger, better, faster, and, and keep working with tight margins or uh do i take a, a a turn here and look at how do i maximize my soil and how do i maximize my revenue and opportunity per acre right 
Is that is that that's kind of the the path you've chosen there, and and you're doing some things that can't be done, like no till organic. That can't be done, Tom. Uh, I don't know if anybody's well, told you that, but you're not this, supposed to do that. This year, this year you could probably say it it wasn't done because it's it's a failure. But the one good thing is being diversified. It's not a failure because now I get to turn around and I'm I get to capture whatever's out there for my livestock. So now we did we I'm didn't plan really, this though. Tell tell me two things you learned out of that failure. Watch how quick they'll come. Uh, make sure you do it yourself. Don't you know? If it's a new thing, don't custom hire. Okay. I, I I like to build stuff, and usually they're nothing fancy. But I like I like to build in that way. When it's done, it's done the way I want because I know kind of the scenario that's what's going to happen during the year and what I might need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really should have focused on that more during the winter time, making my own machinery to do what I want and. And I will for this coming year. I, I think uh, I think organic sixty-inch corn is going to be. Uh, I think I'm going to like that. Uh, I actually met some people from Canada, and really got talk with them. And that that's the one great thing about networking is you get to see what everyone else is doing. I was very impressed with these two guys, and I hope to work hard on learning more this winter and mimicking what they're doing as far as organic corn and. Then bring that back to the sweet corn guys and put out a good crop for them. Okay. So now uh, the cover crops that you're working with there and, and the 60-inch corridors, I imagine is that, uh, are you companion cropping with that or are you cover cropping with that, Tom? We'll be. Or intercropping. Uh, no, no, we'll not be inner. Okay. We'll not be inner because we're so not going to harvest. So these are complementary gonna... crops for nutrient availability and yep. weed suppression? Yep. Yep. The, the idea is that you can, you could actually have two years of corn, uh, because you can grow, you can actually grow your nitrogen in the, in between the rows. Hmm. And then what they're doing is they're, they're coming in the fall and they're, 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 they're planting brassicas and they're the certain kind of brassicas they'll take out the legumes. So you make sure you get that nutrients back the next year. So it's still, I still got ways to go learning on that, but I really, uh, like in this year's sweet corn, my plan was to be able to mow a lot of it. And you know, I didn't get my mower built. I, I did use my regular chopper, and you could just take off knives. But I I really want to do a better job of just cutting off the forage, the cover crop, and let it decay back there and actually giving weed suppression at the same time as as compared to doing the cultivation, that which, you know, just exposes the ground more. I will say it actually... It's actually not a bad field as far as weeds. Uh, for what little bit I cultivated and all bad the rain was, it, it actually held up pretty good. But so that's that 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 was a loaded uh, statement there, Tom. You're you're just kind of throwing out some uh, the humble genes definitely kicking in right there. But if I heard you right, uh, not only are you cover cropping between the sixty inch rows in order to prepare the nutrient status for the next year and come back and shift over 30 inches and put 60-inch corn so you can have back-to-back corn and not really give up that much corn yield, but you're also selectively planting certain cover crops that will take out the clovers from competing with your next year's crop within. Did I hear that right? Yes. Now, that might take just a little bit of planning. Yeah, it's going to take a lot of planning. <laughs> you mean, you now wait a minute, you mean you can't open up the doors in the spring and hook up the planter and just go out and go to it? No, no. I, oh, it now, seems like I like to. Now you're complicating things, Tom. Yeah, well, you know what? 
uh, being adaptable. I don't think I've ever done the same thing two years in a row. And I know growing up, I was always envious of the neighbors. They pretty much same thing all the time until I realized that they're really just kind of doing what they've always done and never learning. So I, I feel good about doing different stuff every year. And I, I coached wrestling for 18 years, and my boy was a great wrestler. But I always told him I'd rather watch him lose a good match than win an easy one. Uh, because I really feel that you learn more and you pushed harder when, when you have, uh, complications and diversity and, you know, things don't always go your way. You, you, you learn how to adapt and really, I think that's how you can succeed. So, yeah, that's true. We, we don't learn anything not being challenged, correct? Yeah. So yeah. that's your job here in January is to challenge thinking when, when you're up there in that, that 17 minute slot is to pique people's interest and challenge their thinking and, and make a change. And that's what I'm excited to hear. So I, I think we can do that. All right. <laughs> so now I want to back up just a little bit. When did you get started with uh, cover crops on your farm there, Tom? Uh, 21 years ago. Uh, I remember cause I had just moved back to the farm. Uh, I was living in town. Me and my dad swapped houses what it was was a, a pea field, a 70-acre pea field, and my dad had us plant uh, dwarf Essex rapeseed. Mm-hmm. And what we did is we went out and lightly disfilled. We were, we were conventional tillage. We went mm-hmm. out and lightly worked the field, and then I put a little three-point spreader on the tractor and just spread the, you know, you know how small those seeds are, uh, spread it out and pulled a crumbler behind. And the next year when we, you know, we we did that year. It held the weeds back really good. The next year we did our regular tillage. And, uh, when it came harvest time, that was our best, best yield right there. And I really didn't even think of the cover crop. You know, it wasn't called the cover crop. Then it was just, I was thinking fertilizer or, or seed variety or chemical. And it actually took a while to change my thinking as far as, well, what did I put in and what did I get out instead of, you know, what did I do to work with mother nature instead of trying to force it down her throat. So, mm-hmm. uh, we took, it took about a week or two to realize that, well, Hey, we planted that, that green stuff, that, that rapeseed. And so then we started kind of playing with it. And, and I, for 12 years, I was kind of off and on, you know, I'd plant fields. I remember planting on election day back in, I think 2000 or 2002 and, on November 2nd and it was mm-hmm. a beautiful day and I was like well this is great I I was in program so I was getting paid to do my tillage that's kind of the way I looked at it too it was like well I gotta do my tillage I'll get paid and until I uh, really started networking with other farmers and I realized well maybe I should cut that no-till or cut the tillage out and then it just exploded I mean so health-wise it just you know I had seen good benefits before but you, know, you do something to make it better, and then you do tillage, and you take a step back. So once mm-hmm. I quit that tillage, I really saw a big jump. And, of course, then once I threw the livestock on there, which we already had livestock, uh, it just kept on exploding more and more and more. So so you went to no-till about 11 years ago, and then from there you— uh, No, no, no. Went, went, to, went to no-till about uh, five, six, five—well, I started doing— 
experimenting with strip till about six years ago. And okay. we started no tilling four or five years ago. Okay. Okay. And then when uh, did you start integrating livestock onto the cover crops and, and start doing high diversity cover crops? Uh, I started doing high diversity cover crops kind of the same year I started no tilling. Uh, livestock went on that year yeah that year also okay and it's amazing because we always had cattle and i never once grazed uh corn stalks now who yeah. told you those cows have legs <laughs> 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 i did when i was chasing them when they'd get out oh <laughs> they'd want to well they were getting out to graze and and you're trying to chase them back into the lot see how you are you're right you're right. When I uh, I told my uncle one time, I said, oh, I'm going to put a fence up. And I'm going to graze out there. And what? He was all worried. And I told him, I said, don't worry, Danny. Uh, they're going to want to stay on my side because my side's all nice and green and yours is just black. So Yeah, they don't like yeah. to eat dirt. No, no, no. Doesn't taste too good, does it? <laughs> so really, you've got all five of the soil health principles going on there with minimizing your tillage as much as you can and keeping it covered, keep something living, a high diversity rotations and the livestock and everything's really humming. What are what are some of the yeah, things you've you, seen? But you can't you can't stop there too because you know that that's why I'm kinda into the organic side too, mm -hmm. is you know I went to a Moses conference once and I was we were talking about mycorrhizal fungi and I asked the mm -hmm. guy, you know, which damage is it worse? Chemical or tillage? And he told me, he said, well, here he asked, he asked me, what goes deeper? And I thought, well, the chemical does, because that just washes through. So I I really think we need to add in there, you know, instead of just the five, there's there's more things that we can be doing. Uh you know, we don't we don't stop at five rules. We don't stop at six. We don't stop at seven. We just keep on trying to make it better and better and better and better. And so, I really think ten years from now there'll be more stuff that we're thinking of that we might change. It'll be even a lot better than the five steps, you know, five principles. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. Uh, the nice part is is that you know. When we learn those things that can be universally adopted, whether it's in southern Minnesota or southern Arizona, uh, you know that's that's the neat part is the principles remain, the practices vary, and uh, yep, that's that's a that's a great opportunity. So I I see. Uh, so Tom, um, when we record these sessions, we use Skype, and and he's showing off right now. Uh, so yeah. on the podcast, you guys can't see this, but in the background, now Tom, you know he, he's not. Um, He's not a short guy by any means, and I'm looking at some uh, forage sorghum that's no, no, uh, probably down. three I, foot I, over I top of your head. Guy. Oh, okay. Don't, well, don't then it's him. about four foot over you. I'm <laughs> 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 but I, I see some sun hemp going on there. I see forage sorghum, uh, a lot of other things. What are, you, what are you standing in there, and, and how happy are the cows grazing on that? Uh, very much. They're, they are grass-fed cattle, and uh, talking to... I forget his name now, Dr. Allen. Yep, Allen uh, Williams. I was asking him, what, what's the secret to uh, finishing grass-fed cattle? Because you, you always think that there's some secret, some mystery recipe, and he just said diversity. Diversity, diversity, diversity. And so I really tried cranking up, and, I, I, and I've kind of known for a while that I need to finish my grass-fed on a nice diversity, not 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 wintertime where they're eating maybe, a, you know, a, bags or haylage or rileage or something like that but uh, i like diversity so actually this year i planted a 31 wave variety 
And I was just all looking at that today, and it's it's okay. There's there's good spots, there's bad spots. Uh, I still need to learn. You know, when you get to 31 species, you got you got to really start being selective and picky. And I kind of just started throwing in stuff more than I probably should have, but uh, they'll all grow. But right now, I'm in. You know, this is organic transition. It'll be organic next year, certified. So I kind of went a little heavier on the clovers. Uh, so really. I like to look at the cover crop as, you know, multiple levels. So I have the high stuff and the low stuff. So if I if I did need to cut something off for forage, which I don't like to do because I hate to take the nutrients off, but in Minnesota, and I did graze all January, February, and I had to pull them off in March when it got too muddy. But, you know, there's not a lot of forage out there. They still choose to go out there, and they can still find stuff. But can I keep them going just on that? Probably not. Uh, do I give them the choice to go out there and be happy and, and do what cows love to do? Absolutely. And then they can find stuff, but so I do sometimes have to take forage off, but this, what the heavy clover mix is hopefully going to give me some more nitrogen for next year. So, and plus you've got enough for the upper canopy so that they can have the energy that they need for finishing. You know, one of the things Alan will talk about is that really wants a 90, 10 type diet on the high energy versus clovers in there when they're finishing phase so i mean they've got more than enough biomass that they're going to have to stand on top of each other to get to the top of that there tom uh yeah <laughs> to well, eat but i mean they're they're able to pick and choose what they want aren't they oh absolutely absolutely but now the second time through i will kind of make them just because it's an organic scenario i will make them kind of bring it down to to almost nothing you know is really what i'm after so i can i can turn around and plant my organic winter rye in here no till that in but uh it's been kind of neat this year watching all the sun hemp put the flowers on uh mm -hmm. my my daughter's actually a senior this year and i came out this spring and and i failed uh only because of a miserable springtime but i came out and planted a bunch of uh dwarf essex rapeseed to try and get some yellow flowers out here so i wrote her name and yeah, I, I tried writer name. I, I failed. I didn't get, you know, we just didn't have enough heat units. And it was too wet to, to get the stuff growing. I wanted to take the drone up and take pictures, but uh, just, you know, diversity in there. And I thought it'd be kind of neat. So. <laughs> Maybe that and a good Photoshopper. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what? I, I keep on looking. I, I still, just because it failed once doesn't mean I lost opportunity. I got multiple opportunities still to, to get it done and i will get it done uh like i said you you, you can fail it's how, how many times you lose or fall down it's not what counts it's how many times you get up and keep going so that's right true i, I will make sure i get it done <laughs> well let's uh i want to ask you a little bit about uh your approach to organic transition and i i think the people that are considering going to organic that's one of their biggest questions is, is okay how do we do this you know, um, going from conventional organic and not, not uh, taking a bath in the meantime, I think one of the, you know, early on people just decided to go to transition uh, corn that they maybe be able to, or, or soybeans or grains uh, that they could get somewhat of a premium on, but they're still paying the full input prices of organic. And that's kind of just going backwards, not quite as fast. Uh, a lot of people like to do alfalfa hay, but like what you said is, 
you know, if you don't have an abundant source of manure or, or other inputs, so you're removing a lot of nutrients off that field by going hay, and you're really not getting a lot of premium on transition alfalfa by any means, but it's just a good way to control yeah. weeds and those kind of things. But uh, one, of the th- one of my thoughts behind uh, uh, cattle that we're doing and, and other people are doing is utilizing those to generate a revenue source, especially in grass-fed, during that transition phase and also using that as an opportunity for weed control and for general organic matter and soil quality improvement. So talk to us about your, your thoughts and theories and why, where you've gotten to today on that, those transition crops and how that works for you, Tom. Well, when I, when I first started transition, it was uh, just off an alfalfa field. I thought, you know, what the heck, we got nothing to lose. We kind of learned how to keep weeds down with the winter rye scenario. So we did that. And our first year, I think it was only 15 acres was, was absolutely fantastic. It, we, we had, it was probably, it was, it was my cleanest field. Uh, corn looked beautiful. It only went about 160, but I kind of killed my headlands with run with applying manure on there. But I kind of took my cover crop down and it took it down in stages and I did do tillage, uh, but that is not the overall plan every year to do that. So that was one way. The second year I did a transition, I did it with uh, strip till uh, corn in a first year transition. And that, and that turned out okay. I didn't have a very good variety in there. Or I should say I had a good variety, but it went down bad on me. And it did everywhere. So it wasn't just my field. Uh, but still yielded okay. And now this year, and in the meantime, I started saying, hey, I want to, you know, I want to graze it with the livestock. So that's, I've done that on 45 of my acres, uh, intensively grazing with the idea that, you know, let's put the nutrients back in. I know you did a presentation at the strip till, which is, I loved, you know, showing the cows out, <laughs> recycling my nutrients. Uh, I really will say in the organic world, I'm, you know, I first started with cover crops saying, okay, great, you know, weed suppression, then great water infiltration, but I'm really on a high kick of uh, nutrient recycling. You know, I want to really keep nutrients going up and down, up and down, and I know I'll have good soil health if that's happening and good diversity. So uh, this field is a grazing mix. It was last year too, and it's along with the other fields. Another, I took a larger portion in, you know, my dad passed away. So I kind of, I got kick stuff in high gear because I, you know, now instead of just renting from my dad, I'm renting from, you know, five other people. So it gets messy. It gets hard. So I, I really ramped up the transition stuff a lot faster and it, it's, there's no doubt it's hard, but like I said, and you said too, the livestock make it easier. You know, I, I can, I can have mistakes, but I can still, it's a rescue plan. I'm still getting forage. I'm still putting out a great grass-fed product. Uh, so they really all go together. I think the worst thing that ever happened to farms is livestock going off them and thinking that we can just do it one way only. You know, I do it multiple ways. And when you're talking about, Tom, on the uh, alfalfa that you strip-tilled in, you know, the first year, uh, when you're doing full tillage, I could see how you can terminate the alfalfa crop and also the rye cover crop that you seeded in there. Um, how how did you the alfalfa that was growing in the corn on there? How did you did you cultivate that out then, or or what did that transition well, look like in year two? We, we 
I, I mowed it a couple times until it got too high for my chopper uh, without hurting the corn. So I had to stop and, and I really should have made a unit. I know, I think Dawn Equipment's making the Row Pro and uh-huh. stuff like that. I, I really think that is going to be quite good. I know friends up in Canada, that's what they are doing in the 60-inch corn, uh, which actually would be pretty quite easy to do then. So. Okay. I, and then, you know, this year I ended up having to cultivate, and, of course, it rained every time. And, and I really didn't want to take it out totally. I wanted to have a little bit just because I knew I'd still be coming back in grazing also. So mm-hmm. if I had some come back, that was okay with me. And, and now I'm probably going to be able to capture all that also. So and I'm then, really glad that I didn't totally take the alfalfa out because the sweet corn, you know, not being a good year. And actually, I'm not the only organic sweet corn guy that's, you know, I think uh, four out of the five fields are all pretty much in the same spot I'm, position I'm in. So mm-hmm. I think I'm... I'll be lucky that I left the alfalfa in there and didn't get rid of it totally because I will be able to capture it still. So, and then when you're transitioning on your small grains or on without the alfalfa, are you using a small grain harvesting that doing a summer forage? Uh, I and have grazing. I have I I I really don't have any set transition way. It's kind of what fits in. You know, there's so many different scenarios to look mm-hmm. at. I look at can I graze? That's usually one of my first things is, is can I graze it? Can I, can I get there? Can I use livestock any which way, which I really can, uh, where I'm transitioning because it's all right at the home farm. But I, I look at that. I look at if a can crop possibility, cause if I'm going to go in a transition, I would like to the year before, make sure that I come in with a really high diversity mix to try and really ramp up the soil. I mean, being in Minnesota, it's easy to see how uh, we get stuck in the cereal rye kind of world and just only winter rye, only winter rye, and that's it. And I did that for 12 years, 15 years, and so I really want to get more diversity in there. So if I'm going to transition something, I make sure that before the year before it's transition, I come in with a multi-cover as big as possible, hitting if I'm going to go to a cash crop, I'll make sure I'll get a lot of legumes in there. If I'm not going to a cash crop that I'm not too worried about, then I go a little more on the brassica side uh, just to get some good soil health and uh, get some good sugars into the soil. So, mm-hmm. No, that's lots, good. And- lots of different ways. I, I, I've never once looked at it and said, well, this is my rotation. It's like I got five, six, seven different rotations. But what is consistent, though, yeah, but what is consistent is you've got a plan ahead of time. You know, you're looking at what has that rotation been and those kind of things, and you're you're planning this year in order to set yourself upright for next year. Yeah, it's, you know, I think I said before at Strip Till, but, you know, I'm I'm done playing checkers. I'm playing chess now. I, I grew up, and it's no longer is it just one year and the next year and the next year. It's... I need to think years out and years back too. And so just like chess, I have to think two, three years ahead. And, and I do. And I also look two, three years behind. So that's like I say, when I do the transition, I make sure before I go into that, that soil has got that, I kind of call it like an energy drink. You know, I don't drink energy drinks, but I want to big boost that soil with big diversity to really get soil health going before I transition to organic fields. I would never, I really don't like the idea of taking 
beat up, abused, addicted soil and thinking that you're going to just throw it into organic world and, you know, say, here, go, go back to living healthy. <laughs> it'd, be like, it'd be like taking me and putting me in a marathon. <laughs> you know? So you're, you're getting Red Bull for soil, huh? Uh, that, that'd work great <laughs> well, if you got Red uh, Angus, you're all set. Yeah, except the only, the only difference is instead of like with a Red Bull where you have a crash afterwards, the soil health, I maintain it with covers every year and no-till and livestock. So, uh-huh. um, Well, tell you tell me a little bit about your farm store. You mentioned that briefly in passing there uh, and, and CBD and those kind of things. Are you selling your uh, grass-fed beef there on farm and out of a farm store? Uh, no, no, it's not a farm store. We opened up a hemp store. Oh, hemp store. So it's a hemp only. Okay, yes. very good. I'm yep, sorry. Yep. Hemp, hemp only. Yep. Okay, so and you're I, doing CBD oil or or what? Yes, oils of? and okay. flour. So okay. like this year, our our flour uh, from our hemp products will actually be sold in the store as is, and we'll maybe extract some oil from it. But really, you know, the more research you do into the CBD world or the the cannabis plant world, you realize that the healthiest way to get CBD into you, and, and it's really the cannabinoids, is mm-hmm. to actually vape or smoke the flower, which I know most people think, okay, you're getting high. I was like, no, this is all legally right. you know, below. The THC is bred to be very, very low, right. so you do not get that. But you do get the health benefits. And I've had, personally, I've had at least... 35 people that, that have come in and just said, Oh my gosh, you've changed my life. I went from, I haven't slept for 12, 15 years to, I don't have the inflammation now and I can sleep during night. And you know, when people get high pain, high, high, bad situations, they get frantic and they, and bad things happen. So if you can help people solve those problems, boy, that's, that's priceless. Uh, so it's really neat, you know, on the grass-fed side, I'm putting out a better product, and, and on the hemp side, we're putting out a better product, too, to, to help people. So okay. it's really quite remarkable. So how long have you been doing uh, CBD-based uh, well, uh, hemp, yeah, industrial hemp well, CBD? Well, personally, me, me and my two partners, we started each started about two years ago. Okay. And we both, you know, I'm, I'm inflammation. I broke my leg here six years ago, and I had terrible ankle pain and i started taking that and then inflammation went away and i could i could get up in the morning and just run downstairs not use the railing which it used to take me about 10 minutes hmm. and so i really noticed how wow i'm can't believe this the other guy has really high anxiety and it helped calm him and then the other partner uh he had adhd and along with his kids and his you know they're older kids but they got off of ridlin he's He's much better, and we thought, "Wow, this is can't believe how much this has helped us." We want to help other people, and so that's really how we started. We we didn't start the business to, oh, we want to go jump on the bandwagon and get rich. We started because we wanted to help people, and the same with the soil health. You know, I'm not doing it just to uh, try and make more money off of uh, a niche market. I'm doing it because I want to make healthier products. Mm-hmm. And so, how how long have you been growing it? yourself there it, oh this is our first year first on him so it's okay. uh it's a crash course in uh the cannabis plant mm-hmm. uh, i do feel pretty good because i actually took down about well, i think we had 
about 12 feet of biomass last year that I took down. It was my two acre, uh, cover crop test spot. And mm-hmm. it was on the, is an organic field. So I just kind of played with things. And last year I took all that down and I never planted any more cover crops because I, Oh my gosh, how am I going to get rid of all this biomass? It was all gone this spring. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was unbelievable. You know, what once was almost 12 inches thick, probably about eight to 10 inches thick biomass was just gone. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know what, that's healthy soil. That's where I want my cannabis plant to grow. And, and they do, they look good. And, uh, I'm really excited to, to see the benefits of it and help other people. So, so did you do direct seed or transplants? Uh, uh no, we did, we did, we did clones. We did transplants, okay. uh, being new to the industry. I did not want to get into checking every dang plant to see if it's been, uh-huh. if it you know, has a male plant out there because a male plant, just like in the real world, males kind of destroy everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was for you, Crafty, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, nope, that's, uh, uh, so you're doing the, the clones on there, so you don't have to worry about yep. uh, male roguing. Yep. So being, a, being a partner, I have really heavy uh, soil health. I haven't done any tillage out there. Uh, just transplanted. We've been mowing down the, you know, the stuff in between, which I really wanted to have only white clover growing in there but i didn't get it done as just a wet spring and wet even first half of the summer so i haven't mm-hmm. got but i will be planting some more white clover this fall along with some buckwheat because i my soils it's you know i was a headland for many years and mm-hmm. when they my dad built the house he put all the clay right there so it's oh good pretty heavy soil and i i just i want to help get the buckwheat out there to help loosen it up a little bit more too mm-hmm. and, but then my partner has really light soil and he's done heavy tillage and you know his plants look great too but i guess it's really the end product that's gonna tell it will be interesting to see if there is a difference in your you know cbd content or any other things that we can't measure but maybe we'll be able to notice yep. with the patients well, so. the, the, the cannabis plant is really good at taking up everything yep. so Yep. Uh, it, w- it will be really neat to see that. So you're, you're exactly right. So when you're transplanting those then, Tom, uh, what, what are you 60 inch rows and, and three or four uh, no, foot? No, on... we, we went really wide. We're, uh, we did 1200 plants. I'm okay. Uh, seven foot wide and then five in five foot spacings. So we can, we can walk around. I wanted good airflow in there. You got a Christmas uh, tree farm, doing, man. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, but we've kind of we've trimmed them and pinched them back so they're not really all that tall. Oh, okay. They're more pushy. So you're uh, you pinch the growing point in order to get it to uh, stool out more or yes, branch yes, out more. Exactly. Very good. Exactly. That'll probably help yes. with the evenness of the bud uh, set and development too. Yes. Yep. Yep. And that's uh, like I said, that's what we're kind of after, and and having our store, you know, that gives us a marketplace and. It's, it's done quite well. So. And then um, on that, will you hand harvest those the buds uh, based on maturity, or will you do whole plant harvest? Yeah. Well, no, we'll be, we'll be planting the flower. We call them flowers instead okay. of buds, even though most people know it as a bud. It's, it's actually a flower. So yeah. we, we will harvest that. And uh, right now we're, we're having the Minnesota Department of Ag 
they'll start testing. They're going to come sample here in the next week or so. Mm -hmm. And then we have so many days to pick it before, you know, before that. And that's, or by by the time they done 30 days from when they, when they, from when they test. So you're, you're probably pretty close to harvest there, aren't you? Uh, you know what? We're probably going to be October 5th. Oh, wow. Uh, how Uh, close to your frost date is that, Tom? Well, you know what? The, the guy that we're working with is from Colorado. He's in Wisconsin now. He told us these plants are pretty dang frost hardy. So it's, you know, it's not like it's going to take one night of 30 degrees to kill them. It's going to take mm-hmm. multiple nights of lower temperatures, kind of like a lot of brassicas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, you know, it is a, it is a warm season. So, right. But he says, he says they'll, they'll be able to take some. So, well, keep us posted on that, and uh, we've had some discussion about, uh, you know, having a, a sidebar uh, get-together on hemp production because we have a lot of our growers from Montana to Arizona, California, Colorado that are all uh, dabbling in hemp, and I think it'd be a good resource to have at Aggie Merge, uh, you know, a roundtable discussion about, about those kind of things and what we've learned. So keep good notes on that for the frost, you know, because I would think that would affect the flower. Um, but yeah. maybe yep. there's enough moisture content in it that it, it'd be more of a leaf issue. So, yep. uh, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of unknowns, right? But that, that's what makes uh, it exciting. I, <laughs> yeah. My two partners, one, one's a greenhouse guy. He does a lot of greenhouse vegetables. And then one is an insurance guy. And, uh, I tell him, you know, welcome to the farming world. Anything can happen. <laughs> <laughs> we could have a, we could have a gold mine out there, and one night or one hour, or one minute, I have a great tax going. write-off, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not like that in him. It goes it's, from it's a gold been, mine to a tax hard, write-off. <laughs> uh, it's been hard doing everything because, of course, they got to change all bylaws since it's just oh, sure. turned to the farm bill. So. Banks were really hard at first. They changed their bylaws. We had a bank that worked with us really good. Uh, insurance companies were really hard, and of course, right now, credit card companies are are the problem. They they need to get their their bylaws changed and get so you know hmm. even though marijuana is on the schedule one drug, industrial hemp is not, and so they're trying to get that separated as far as you know right even the wording like our our company is Superior Cannabis Company. And so right there is just a red flag. Oh, you're a cannabis company. It's like, well, no, we're 100% legal. We're we're doing everything right, but it's still a, you know, in the yeah. banking world and money world, it's it's it causes precautions. So. Yeah, they should know if you're walking into a bank there locally that you're who you are. So anyway, actually, the the bank loves us. Even the bank we don't work with. There's a bank right across the street. Every single lady there is on is using our CBD products. <laughs> okay, well, great. So now, are you um, doing your own uh, extraction? Uh, no, we are not right now. We, you know, we have we have goals, and you know, money. The first year was best spent somewhere else as compared to uh, buying our own extraction. But that that will be a goal of ours. Well, good, good. So you'll you'll be from uh, soil to. Soil to consumer on on that then so yep. you, you'll have yep. uh, regenerative organic uh, CBD oil or CBD flour so yeah exactly yep I exactly. Th- I really feel that that will because of the health orientation of it and a direct consumption of it I think that'll uh, quickly go 100 percent organic 
And after that will be, I think, uh, soil health benefits will will be a certain premium in that market or people will be asking for that. So I think you're way ahead of the curve and that's a great place to be. Well, you know, I, I worked, I uh, was on a local co-op board for about 18 years of that too. Hmm. And one of the most disheartening times I ever was in that, in that boardroom was when they showed, they were talking about uh, California paying high price for eggs and the guys were making fun. Oh, they're gonna have to pay high prices. And I thought, you know what? That that's our that's that's who's buying our product. You know, we need to give the people what they want, not only give them what we want to give them. And of course, that night I went home, and the first thing I saw was this successful farming magazine with that lady in the shopping cart, mm-hmm. and it said, "Meet your new boss." And that thing is just stuck in my head, and I I totally agree with it. And I just felt bad that these other farmers were feeling like, you know, we can give them whatever we want. It's what we want to do. It's like, no, it's the end. The end person is, is who we need to please. And so. And what other industry does that, right? Unless yeah. they have a monopoly, yeah. uh, they, you know, there's no other industry. It's just going to, you know, say, hey, here's what, here's what we got. You got to buy it. So yeah. We, yeah. we have to be consumer focused, you know, that. Yep. Um, uh, we we got to do what's right for our, for our family, but we also got to do what's right for for our customers' families. That that is for sure. Yep. So, looking forward here. Um, what what's next on your horizons, Tom? What do you? Uh, we got you know the cannabis company and and the uh, uh, hemp and and CBD, and it sounds like extractions on the horizon in the future. What else is bouncing around in that mind of yours that that doesn't? Uh, that doesn't seem to turn off. Uh, you know, I, I really want to kind of end goal is to really focus a lot on bio strips and really get to where I'm strategically placing these plants almost precisely. And not, not the, not, not this fact of just, uh, you know, precision seeding, but precision placement. And that means in my planting, in that zone where all the brassicas were planted or the legumes or the grasses. And I really think I'm going to venture a lot down that road. Uh, and we'll see. And, you know, the companion crops, I were relay cropping. I, I see that. I see that coming along. I'll, I'll probably dive into that a little bit too. Uh, one thing is, you know, my wife always says I overfill my plate and, and that's not just at the dinner table too either. That's everywhere. But <laughs> well, we'll see. You know, I know my partners are saying I need to slow down and cut back, and they're probably right. Uh, I, sh- but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I just I like doing a little bit of everything too. I guess so. So really, taking that uh, corridor approach instead of farming by a field, you know, farming by a row, and you know, looking at the multiple heights and maybe having three heights of crops. Uh, spaced across there and then precisely rotating those and using those crops for your weed control, your, um, uh, pest control and, and those kind of things. And, and basically think of a rotation within field instead of between fields. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I think we've got that technology to do that today. Um, we've got it fairly well today, but boy, in the future, when we go to small, uh, you know, robotic autonomous equipment, 
um, the possibilities are endless. They really are. If, if you send out an implement to do one row at a time, nothing says we got to do everything within row too. I mean, you can, yeah. you can have different crops within the row or between the rows or just quit thinking rows, right? Because what yeah. you're standing yeah. in right there is, you know, in natural, when you look at the prairie, uh, the prairie wasn't planted in rows, was it? <laughs> no, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. So, but no, that's, that's one of the fun things, you know, uh, with having someone like you, Tom, that's boots on the ground and, and doing these things and really striving to make things better for your farm and your family. Uh, you've got these ideas and, you know, that's one of the reasons why we try to bring the entrepreneurs together, uh, to Aggie Merge too, is so that they can hear that. So they know what their application is for autonomous vehicles or sensors or machine learning or artificial intelligence and, you know, data and analysis, uh, data analysis, excuse me, what, how all those things that they're working on, what they're, what they should be focusing on for an end goal. Because right now the industry is looking at conventional agriculture. Okay. How do we get another ton? How do we get another bushel? How do we get, you know, just the incremental improvements? And we really want to unleash that, um, entrepreneurial engine, uh, to solve problems like what you're looking at right there. You know, how can I get indexed rows within that field with multiple crops growing diversely at the same time to meet what your next generation goals are? You know, because if you've got hemp plants seven feet apart, I know if you're me thinking out there, hmm, there's a lot of sunlight going to waste out here. And I know at first you yeah. don't want to you don't want to waste it on a high value crop. Right. But, you know, down the road, I, I bet you're I bet that's making you itchy about that that sunlight that's not getting utilized in between the plants. Well, it depends on what you grow in there. You know, if you, that's yep. what I said, that, that white clover, get it in there. And, and that's a great uh, rotation. Yeah. Yep, you're, you're prepping it for the next season, so. Yeah, yep. Yep. Think it ahead. Are you just relying on Mother Nature for your, your two-acre experiment, or you have some supplemental irrigation going on there? Uh, this year, we did not. We were just Mother Nature, which we've had plenty of rain this year. So, uh, <laughs> did you start be, building the ark on the earlier? Side, I, I really wasn't too worried about yeah. it. Uh, my partner on the drier side, he definitely benefited from it mm-hmm. because he would have been watering. And we, and we, you know, we kind of had a plans idea, and we just never had to pull the trigger because we just we've had enough moisture. Well, excellent. Uh, I think I think when we planted the clones, I think I watered twice and haven't had to water since. So, okay. Well, very good. Well, what else should I have uh, asked you about here today while we we're together, Tom, That uh, or anything else you'd like to share uh, with, with the listeners and and um, while we're together? Well, you know, I I don't like – well, no, I shouldn't say I don't like. Uh, I, I do really love doing stuff like this because I really wish when I was younger, when I first started covers, I would have had – sources and people to talk to and ideas to you know people to bounce ideas off of so i'm really excited to see stuff like this and uh all, all around the country it's just absolutely exploding and we're, we're gonna learn so much faster together than alone so it's great to see so that's that's really all i gotta say about that i agree we uh when when we were hitting this regenerative ag movement along with the ag technology movement and a lot of these things are all kind of emerging at the same time i just kind of threw my hands up in the air and i said there's something 
magical that can happen with all this coming together. But I give up. I can't figure it out. I don't know what that is. And you know what? A couple hundred people's minds in the same room are going to be a lot better than mine. And that was basically uh, the beginning of, of Aggie Merge. It's like, okay, okay, let's take the best and the brightest, people with the wildest ideas that are really focused on soil health and technology, and, and put it all together and say, okay, what, what can we all come from together? And after last year, it was a really, really good experience, and, and people have stayed connected. And like you said, uh, networking is, is critical to, to learning and application. And uh, I'm excited about that. I, I really hope we can help push the, push the needle forward a little bit and help people think a little bit differently and, and do a lot better job in improving their soils. So it, it's a lot of fun. And, and along the way, I've got to meet you and uh, many other great thinkers. So um, it, it's been a joy for me. You know, I, uh, when I look at five years ago, if I can just share a little story with you, Tom, I... You know, I was sitting there with Alan Williams. I went to one of his meetings here a couple of weeks ago, and and I'm thinking about it, and it just hit me how I'm going to do hemp production next year. And I'm going to do bale grazing on, on some stockpile high-diversity forages. I'm going to go out and do bale grazing, and I'm going to put uh, like 80 hay bales in a row for about 1,500 feet. And I'm going to bale graze the cattle and uh, strip graze, uh, basically give them two to three bales per day and let them... Uh, uh, let the herd go out and stockpile graze and then bring the manure back to the centers. And then I'm going to run the uh, poultry house over it in April with our uh, uh, broilers and let them pick through all of the leftover hay and add some more uh, goodies to it. And then uh, that house is about 20 feet wide. I'm going to go four rows of hemp and put drip irrigation down, so four rows by 1,500 feet to get a, a basically a one-acre hemp trial. So that way I'm using okay. the livestock you know, to, uh, and, and concentrating in the nutrients there and, and those interactions and plus the mulch on the ground for the weed control and, uh, in order to see what we can do with hemp transplants. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's a combination of livestock and cover crops and, uh, growing just all these different people you get to meet with and think, huh, how could that work? You know, so I'll let you know well, how you much talk a train wreck that, that, that is. <laughs> That bale grazing, that my organic sweet corn, that's the one thing I noticed right away that, holy cows, wherever I put my bales and bale graze, that sweet corn looks fabulous. Mm-hmm. And I was really disappointed that I didn't get it spread at a better pattern, more uh, more consistently keeping track of how I'm doing my bales. So, And when yeah, Alan this, said you need to space those bales about 20 to 25 feet apart, it just clicked in my yep. head. It don't have to be a square. We can have them twenty foot apart in a row, and then drag the chicken yep. house over top of them, and they'll they'll even it out, spread it out, add more, you know, eat the bugs. Uh, so anyway, we'll we'll see. I, I don't think I can market it though as chicken crap uh, CBD. I don't think people like that, Tom. But uh, <laughs> well, but you could do some eggs. Hemp yeah, eggs. hemp eggs. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Get well, those California eggs up to twenty bucks a dozen. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, um, really appreciate your time today, and uh, and thanks for making me jealous showing off your uh, your forage crop that you're standing in there. I, I appreciate that, and uh, really look forward to your results and how harvest goes. If we can help you in any way, give us a shout and um, on that. But be fun to catch up with you in January for sure, and, and see how things turned out. 
Look forward to it. I think I'm gonna bring. I think I'm gonna bring my uh, youngest son and daughter down too. So okay, Wonderful. very good. So, yeah. well, I appreciate it, Kim. Anything else I should have brought up or mentioned? I don't think so. I'm just excited to. Uh, I feel like we just got to sit and chat out in the out in the field with you, and I loved hearing the bugs in the background singing to us. So uh, that that's been a great afternoon of uh, of enjoyment. So thank you, Tom. All right. Well, thank you. All right. I appreciate well, you, it. Yep. Take care and have a safe harvest. Okay. Take care. Bye. What a great visit with Tom. And I really appreciate the reminder to stop, listen, and observe what's happening in the field. Diversity is a key part of Tom's operation, and that diversity is played out through planning. Seems like Tom is constantly looking at different scenarios and how diversity can build soil health and allow for multiple opportunities in his operation while giving him options when weather and other situations pose challenges. Sounds like ideas that go hand in hand with Aggie Merge. Don't forget, the 2020 Aggie Merge event is quickly approaching and we've got an exciting lineup for you, including Tom Cotter, Keith Burns, and Dwayne Beck, just to name a few. At Aggie Merge, we're focused on accelerating knowledge, facilitating leadership, and equipping you for action. Aggie Merge is more than a conference. It offers a unique opportunity to hear from multiple perspectives and see how thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and forward-thinking growers like you are tackling some of the most challenging problems in agriculture. It's an immersive experience with new technology highlights and big-picture discussions on emerging trends in soil, plant, and animal health. With ample opportunity to trade ideas amongst some of the best minds in agriculture today, Aggie Merge is the event that you'll be talking about long after it's over. Have a great day, and thanks for joining us with this podcast.